0: Ephesians four will be our text. Ephesians four verses eleven through sixteen. I I had uh, Jane place in your bulletin this morning a copy. Uh, It's a summarized version of our church covenant, and just so that you can be reminded of of that, um, since we're talking about membership. Uh, if you want a full the the full language of the covenant, I've, I made some copies of that and placed on the table in the back there, where the, the sound guys are. So if you're interested in seeing the full version of it, that's back there. But the, the summary of this that you have in your bulletin uh, is, is helpful. Uh, this is what we are, are committing to when we uh, join the church, and uh, I think it's it's just helpful to be reminded of that every so often. So I wanted to give that to you there. You know, when it comes to giving gifts, uh, some people view gift cards as highly impersonal. My wife and I are not those people. (laughs) And as a husband who does most of the shopping online, who does not enjoy shopping, I love that my wife, views gift cards as practical and helpful. And so uh, it's not unusual uh, when my family, we would exchange Christmas gifts. It wasn't unusual for uh, us exchanging Amazon <laughs> gift cards to each other uh, because that's, that's what we enjoyed. And we could use it for what we wanted to. Now, the thing about gift cards is that they are com- compact, they are easy to purchase, they are easy to use. And, as I said, they have a very specific purpose. So, if I get a gift card to Red Robin, um, I cannot use that at Chili's, okay? If I go to Chili's and I give them my Red Robin gift card, they're not going to take it because it's very specific to that. And I, I couldn't use a gift card to Outback to go play a round of mini golf or something like that because it's not the purpose of it. One year, I remember my dad received uh, from my uncle uh, a gift of a live lobster for his birthday. Now, we, we were living in Detroit, area of Michigan. Okay? At that point in my life, I had never even been to an ocean. Okay, So, uh, as Midwesterners, we understood what to do with beef. And we understood what to do with chicken. But when there's... A crustacean sitting on your counter, we didn't know what to do with it, okay? And so I remember just kind of looking at it, and my dad looking at it, and he's just like, man, it walks away. And so I thought, well, I have been educated, so I can figure this out. I've been educated by TV, okay? And I see on TV um, that you put a pot of water on the stove, right? And you turn it up, and then when it gets boiling, you drop the guy in. Okay? And so I, I'm getting ready to do this. I'm thinking, you know, sorry buddy. <laughs> so I drop him in there. And that was the extent of my knowledge. Okay? And so I don't know how long to keep it in there. So I'm waiting for it to turn red. And I'm like, is that red enough? Or you're So after a while, I take him out and I get the tools of the tree that I'm used to fork and a steak that okay and so i I'm, <laughs> I'm going after this thing for 15 20 minutes i cannot figure out what to do with this thing finally we take it through it the trash and walked away now all of you who love lobster i just ruined your day <laughs> okay all right Later on, in our, on our honeymoon, I had lobster, and I realized I didn't miss out on anything. But for those of you who love lobster, you realize, wait a minute here, you know, it just, just threw this, this crustacean away there. Unfortunately, the gift that was given to my dad did not fulfill the purpose of it. My uncle, who gave that gift to my dad, wanted my dad to enjoy something that was different and something that was good in his estimation, and so he did this. And because of the wisdom of his son, the purpose of the gift was not met. In our text of Scripture here, we see that God gives gifts to the church. And there's very specific purposes for these gifts. So, picking up in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, We see that God's gifts to the church in verses 11 and 12 are leader or leadership, and he's given that to the church, and to each individual church, you've got to understand that this book, Ephesians, was written to a local church, and he's saying that this is the gift that he's given. He's given leadership here, And and there's very specific purposes that we saw in verse 12 there, and the point of the message isn't to talk about this, but this is just giving us the background to what we will talk about. And so in verse 12, we see that the gifts, the purpose of God's gifts is building up or or equipment of the church. This is the reason why we have leaders in our church. And this is the reason why every Sunday we gather together and then somebody, normally I have the privilege, but somebody stands and and teaches God's word because the goal is to build up. The goal is to equip you for everyday life and to equip me for everyday life as well as we go out and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is the purpose the gifts. It's our job as leaders to participate and lead towards the equipment and building up of the church in the following three areas. So as we're taking notes this morning, we're looking at this text of Scripture, I believe that these three themes come through in this passage of Scripture, that the theme of unity, the theme of knowledge, and the theme of maturity. So let's go through this this morning. Number one, God wants us to experience unity. God wants us to experience unity. It says that in verse 12, it says that this was the purpose of the gifts, to equip for the building up. And then verse 13, it says, until we attain to the unity of the faith. So the goal of the the leadership, the goal of the teaching, the goal of the preaching, the goal of gathering together is to equip us and build us up until, and so there's a purpose there. There's a time where we're saying that this is what we are going for. These are the goals that we are trying to, to, to reach here is to attain the unity of the faith. And so I call that confessional unity. I call unity of faith confessional unity. The members of our church need to have the same core belief system. There may be variations in our beliefs concerning such things as eschatology or personal preferences, but there must be unity concerning the core doctrines of the church. And this is one of the reasons why, if you're going to join the church, or if you have already joined the church, we give you our articles of faith or our doctrinal statement, and we ask you to look through that. We ask you to to say, yes, we are in agreement with this. And and we understand that there are areas of, of nuanced disagreements, but the core belief is what we're getting at. So for example, let's take the, our, our belief about the Bible. We would all have to be united on this. And this is the unity that, that we are attaining here. And so as we're learning together, as we're growing together, we're always going back to the Scriptures and we're trying to, to come together in this confessional unity here. And so for example, like I said, the Bible. And so what do we believe about the Bible? Because what we believe about the Bible has ramifications in how we are going to live our lives and how we're we going to even do ministry here at this church. So inerrancy, we believe that the Bible is without error in the original manuscripts. It's important that we believe that because if we if we do not believe that, that's going to affect how we can minister here. And so, if we have a large segment of our church in our membership of our church who who deny the inerrancy of Scripture, who deny the fact that the Bible is without error, and so they would accept the fact that maybe the Bible does err here or there, and that belief is out there. This is not theoretical. There are people who believe that the Bible is is only inspired as it speaks to you. That's called the neo-orthodoxy belief of inspiration or the Barthonian belief of inspiration. And so that that, that it's possible that it has errors or it's possible that it's not fully inspired. That is going to have great effects on how we do ministry here and our thinking process. And so just using the Bible as the example of our belief about the the Bible, it's important that we understand inerrancy. It's also important that we understand what people or theologians call the perspicuity of the Scriptures. And what I mean by that is that it's able to be understood. That it is possible for you and for me to go to the Scriptures and to understand it. Now, that doesn't mean that all passages of the scriptures are equally easily understood, for even Paul, excuse me, even Peter wrote about Paul saying, he has some hard sayings. And so there are portions of the scriptures that, yeah, we do have to dig in a little bit more, and we do have to work harder at, but the fact of the matter is, the book that you hold in your lap in front of you is a gift from God, and it needs to be used. And you need to open it, and you need to study it, and you need to love it, and you need to allow it to change you. This last Wednesday, I taught the teens from Isaiah 55. And I walked them through this text. This is such a beautiful text of Scripture. It was a rebuke to my soul this morning uh, of things that I've been struggling with. And and I've been listening to the song that talks about this passage all week long. And, And Isaiah 55 talks about how the Word of God will not return empty it says, and he uses this word picture of, and it says, as the rain and snow come from heaven and go down the mountain and they nourish the plants, it says, so shall my word not return empty. But later on in verse 13 of Isaiah 55, it talks about how the the, the, the thorn will become the cypress. And the, the briar will become the myrtle tree. That's just a really weird word picture. Because if you think about it, you put a, a thorn and then you water a thorn bush, what are you going to get? A bigger thorn bush. You're not going to get a cypress. But see, that was the point of the prophet. The word of God has a transforming effect on us. And so, we need to, to go to the scriptures and, and it's able to be understood. And, and, and finally, in another application, we could go on and on, but I don't want to belabor the illustration here, but the authority of scripture is very important for us to be agreed on. You know, there are times... Where when I'm counseling somebody, I give counsel that is counter to my feelings. When I'm counseling someone, sometimes I say, I, and sometimes I'm honest, sometimes I just think about it, but I say, I really want to say this right now because this is what I feel. But I am bound to the scriptures. and So I need to give counsel based on what the book says, rather than what I'm feeling in the moment so why am I that way? It's because I have a firm belief in the authority of the scriptures. And that's what we need to rally around. We need to rally around and thinking the same way or having this confessional unity. So as the Bible says it, this is what we will do. And so as Baptists, that's one of the Baptist distinctives. Now, that's not to say that it's limited only to the Baptist denomination. But the B in Baptist, as people often use the acrostic, is that the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice. And Again, I want to be careful that we are not the only denomination that affirms that. But that is an important distinctum of of a Baptist. And so, um, this has ramifications on how we respond to counseling. I've been in constantly situations where I've told somebody, I said, well look, let me take you the Scripture. let me show you what it says, and I read the scriptures to the person, and they respond, well that's fine, but, so what are they, they're tipping their hand at that point, that they really don't hold to the authority of the Word of God in that moment. Now they may intellectually assent to that, but in the moment, they're not allowing the Word of God to be authoritative. And other people, of course, it's the opposite. You show them the Scriptures, and then they, 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 they repent. And, and there's times where I approach the Scriptures, and I want to argue with the text. There's times where I, I say, well, man, you know, and I went through this theological shift several years ago in a certain area, and as I was, I was going, to the, going to the Scriptures, and, and, I, and I really wanted the Bible to teach something different than what it did. I don't know if you've ever been there before. And, and so I went to the Scriptures, and, and I was trying to find a way to make it work. And one of these instances, this has happened a few times in my life, and one of these was the whole notion of the doctrine of a literal hell. Boy, that bothers me. If I could take out one doctrine, in all the scripture, it would be the doctrine of hell. There's a, wild, there's, there's a theory out there, it's called annihilationism, and so I was, I was hoping that I could make the Bible teach that. Now, I didn't teach this, but this was my own personal study. But I went to the scriptures, and I started looking at what does the Bible teach about hell and eternal punishment, because annihilationism was was so attractive to me for what it teaches is it teaches that the hell that people experience is eternal separation from God and the fact that they no longer exist. And so what happens is, is that if a believer dies, he goes immediately to heaven. But if an unbeliever dies, their soul is is annihilated. And they, 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 they no longer exist. And, and so there is no punishment that they're feeling. There, there's, there's no torment that they're feeling. The, the torment that they receive in judgment is that they can't be with God. I thought, man, I, I would appreciate that because, because I know people whom I love who have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. And honestly, the thought of them spending eternity without Christ in, the, in a place called hell, it, it tears me up. Some of you are in that same spot. Right now, we are wrestling with family members who are on the brink of death. And I don't know. I don't know what they will be. So I've gone to the Scriptures and, I, and I've tried to make it te- go uh, and teach something. But when I went away from the Scriptures, I had to say, uh, now I can go with my thoughts and I can twist some things and, or I can let the Bible be authoritative. And my goal... Is that the Bible will always be the authoritative rule here at our church? And so we need to have that confessional unity here. And so when we make decisions, it should be the Word of God that comes to our minds. And when we and this affects our programming and how we do programs in our church, in children's ministries and youth ministries and, and small groups and, and all these things, outreach that is all of this, our confessional unity this this idea the unity of faith here this affects all of those things and has great ramifications for that and so i've mentioned counseling before how this affects our counseling is is, is that we give advice from the word not from our opinions and it's easy to mix the two or a philosophy of ministry, or how we endeavor to grow a church, or or in the fact that that we need to go back to the word. For instance, there's a lot of theories out there about how to grow a church, and one of those is called the uh, uh, the homogeneous unit principle. Okay, that's a that's a huge mouthful, and basically that was started um, a long time ago. Uh, the name just slipped my mind who it was, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, basically what that teaches is that. We are going to target as a church, we're going to target one group, okay? And so we're going to target the, uh, the 30 to 40-year-olds uh, or whatever it is, and that's where all of our efforts go to. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that if a 20-year-old walks in the building, we're going to ban them. And it doesn't mean if a 50-year-old walks in the building, we're not going to let them come. But if we were to hold to what is called the homogeneous unit principle, what we would do is we would say, all of our energies, all of our, our efforts go towards this one group. And I reject that. Because the Bible talks about that we are to be a church of every tongue, tribe, and nation. There's diversity there. We're going to have older people teach the younger people according to Titus. And so our our view of the Bible has ramifications on all of these different things. So we see this as it's played out in the scripture. So by way of example about this confessional unity, I simply bring up one aspect of doctrine, and that's the Bible. Because I believe that's huge. I believe that's important. And so as believers, we need to have this confessional unity. We need to gather together around the same ideas. But there's another thing that I, I believe, not just confessional unity here, but this is a kind of a, a, a byproduct of this, is what I call core unity. Now, considering who is the core of the church, I, I, I try not to look at just attendance of who's here every Sunday. Because that's a common mistake pastors make. And they see people here every week and they say, that's the core of the church. But the fact of the matter is, is that you can come week after week after week and still not be part of the core of the church. And what do I mean by core of the church? And this is how I define it is, People who think along the same lines. Now, that doesn't mean that that there's not variations or diversity. That's not what I'm speaking about. But what if we're talking about is people who think biblically and whose values and priorities are in line with the scriptures and the leadership of the church. This is this core unity. And so, like I said, thinking the same way doesn't mean that we all have to have the same opinions, but it does mean that we have to have the same priorities and values. And so, in honesty, the core of a church, of any church, is usually much smaller than what people think. And here at our church, we need the core to get bigger. Right now, it's actually pretty small. And one of the reasons that I took two messages to talk about church membership was to stir us up to rally around the same ideas and values. I feel that we need to be reminded of the covenant. That's why it's in your bulletin today. And what what we pledged when we joined this church, or if you're considering joining the church, We made certain promises when we joined the church, and we need to be reminded of that. And so the covenant summary that is in your bulletin today uh, um, uh, lists several points. And the first point of the covenant deals with unity. It outlines the following path to contribute to the unity of the church. It says, by loving my church family in words and actions, and by refusing to gossip, and by following church leadership, this is how we will attain unity. And so my question is, how are we doing with it? Are we seeking unity here? Now, again, I, I don't want to take too long on this point, and I'm going to move on to the second point now, but I will say this before I do that is, is, is that this is just one aspect of unity here, this confessional unity. We can spend a lot of time talking about unity. And we will, and we'll bring it up again. But know what you believe, and know why you believe. And when we rally around the scriptures, that's going to solve a lot of problems with me. When we go to the scriptures and we, and we affirm that the scriptures are our guide. Number two, if you're taking notes, God wants us to gain knowledge. God wants us to gain knowledge. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, in verse 13, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I, I, I intentionally put I worded it this way, because I know for some of you, you're like, no, wait a minute here. Is that really what God wants? Because I recall someone else writing in the Bible, knowledge puffs up, okay? Is that what we're about, just gaining knowledge here? Well, yes and no, okay? If what I mean by, by no, we're not just here to get biblical data. But the knowledge here is a very specific term. When we look at it, we know exactly what Paul meant, now, the root of the word is from where we get the word Gnosticism, and which was a, a, a heretical belief of the, uh, actually prior to the, the, the first century church and then even into the first century church. And a lot of the times when we see Paul's writings, he's combating this idea of this false teaching of Gnosticism. This idea of, of knowledge is, 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 is everything, and, and there's other nuances of it. But, but the point is, is that this here, this word, is called, and I normally don't do this because I, I normally don't feel like quoting Greek words is exactly helpful to us, but the word here is epignosis. Okay? Now what that means is the root of it is knowledge, but then there's a prefix to it that is very, very important. And so there's really two levels of knowing. And, and again, I, I, it, you know, this, was, this was typically how it goes. I, I was playing and having this nice chart up on the screen you know, I had planned it all. It was going to be up there and I almost never do this. And I was going to have them so you could see it really nice. And uh, uh, alas, God had other plans today. So if you can picture in my mind, if you, just, you have the word knowledge there, there's two levels of that. The first level underneath the knowledge is just awareness. Okay? So there's one level of knowledge and that's awareness. That's having a general knowledge of something. You're aware of the fact. The second level underneath that is the condition of understanding or understanding the condition of it. And that's the cognitive condition of someone who understands what it's about. So, for instance, um, we've got this Ebola situation going on in the world, okay? So, most of us are in that first level of knowledge of awareness. We know it's that, Okay? But we don't fully understand all the ramifications of it and how to treat it and what's it about and how do you get it and, and all those type of things. I mean, maybe we're getting more of an understanding because it's in the news a lot. But, but typically, we're, we're on that first level of we're aware that it's there, but we don't have this understanding. Now, if, if, if you got those two words now, now under the understanding condition, there's actually two levels of that. Okay, so, so it's going down, so you have knowledge, then you have awareness, and then you have the, the understanding, and then under understanding there's two levels, and the first one is comprehension, and that's the ability to understand the meaning of the importance of something. So this would be the medical community. You know, a few weeks ago if you would have told me um, there's an outbreak of Ebola um, I would have said congratulations. <laughs> I don't know, uh, you know okay, great. But if you were to talk to uh, you know Dr. Gunby or other people in the medical profession uh, and say there's an outbreak of Ebola immediately he would have said oh that's not good right because he has this understanding okay the second level under this and and it's important that we go walk through this this morning because this is this is going to help us understand this here is this epigenosis what I'm talking about that's personal recognition. Okay, so this is coming, and I put this definition in your notes, is personal recognition. This is coming to understand something clearly and distinctly as true and valid, often with a personal acquaintance that necessitates a positive or negative reaction. I'll read it again. Personal recognition is what is being said here. This is coming to understand something as clearly and distinctly As true or valid, often with a personal acquaintance that necessitates a positive or negative reaction. This would be like uh, Dr. Kent, who, Bentley, who was affected by Ebola. He understands Ebola because he went through it. And so, epigenosis is experiential knowledge, if you can think about it that way knowledge is is simply knowing is i know about the fact it's out there but i have no experience with it This word here, when Paul chose this word, it says, until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, he's saying, the goal of us gathering together, the goal of the church, the goal of the leaders equipping and preaching and teaching and and sharing the scriptures, the goal of that is unity, but then, so you gain a personal recognition of Jesus Christ. Not just academic knowledge about Jesus. My goal every Sunday is not just to back the truck up and dump a whole bunch of theological data on you and then drive off into the next week. And it's easy for people who, who study the Scriptures as a profession to make it academic rather than passionate it's easy for me to take the scriptures and read and say, okay, I've got to teach this. Okay, I've got to understand this. And not let it go down and burrow into my soul where it changes and transforms me and then I teach it. So if you want to know how to pray for me, that's how you pray for me. You pray that when I study, you pray that what I do is that I internalize and let the Word of God change me and then I teach it to you. That's what all of us teachers need to do. Because our goal is not just so that you can walk out that door Saying, oh, I now know something different. Our goal is for you to walk out that door and say, I recognize Jesus a little bit better. That's the goal. And so when we see here, we see this, this increase of knowledge. He's talking about this personal recognition. And so this is what he's talking about here. And so we need to recognize Jesus. A personal acquaintance with Jesus results in the positive reaction of love and worship. And the personal acquaintance with Jesus results in the negative action or reaction of hatred, of sin, and evil. Our church covenant, admittedly, is a little weak in this area here of of communicating this. But, But nevertheless, we must covenant together to know Jesus more and to emulate him in every way possible. So do you know Jesus better today than you did a year ago? Not just data about him. But do you know him? Do you recognize him? Do you see him in everyday life? This is our goal here, to present Jesus to you week after week. So when you read your Bible, do you see Jesus on every page? This is an idea of, of, of when you're reading, are you just gaining knowledge, or are you seeing the big picture and understanding Jesus? You say, is Jesus in every page? I believe so. I mean, there's some some difficult times. There's some difficult passages, but even seen th- uh, 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 the scene of, for instance, and by way of illustration, I shared this with you of David and Goliath. Where's Jesus in that story? How do we how do we get a better understanding of the gospel from David and Goliath? A lot of times, when the story's taught, it's taught okay, you got this giant, you know, you got this little little runt uh, who who was you know at odds with his brothers at times. And uh, he comes in, and uh, his brothers think he's being arrogant, and he says that he's going to come in, and he's going to take out this giant, because he comes on the scene, and all of Israel, all the soldiers, the big, strong soldiers, they're shaking in their boots, right? Okay? And they're not able to go up against this giant. And so uh, 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 David comes on the scene, and, 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 um, and, and we see that then he goes in, and on behalf of Israel, on behalf of the army, he takes out the giant, and he defeats the enemy and saves the, the nation. So a lot of times we look at it and say, well, where, where are we at in that situation? So when we're making the application, we say, well, you need to be like David, and you need to, to go up against the giants in your life, and, and you need to, to stand firm for God. Honestly, you know where the best application for us in that story is? It's not David. It's with the Israelites shaking in our boots. And we need a David to come in on our behalf and slay the giant for us. Now, do you see Jesus in the story? Now, do you see where Jesus comes in? That Jesus, that David pictures that, that Jesus Christ coming in our behalf because we are unable, we are unable to conquer the enemy. He's too great, he's too strong. But then, God, in a miraculous, in a humble way, with a little, little, little boy named David or a little baby incarnated, defeated the enemy. Now, do you see Jesus? See, this is how Jesus comes in every page of Scripture. This is the recognition of Jesus that I desire for you and for my own soul. And so as we, the purpose of the teachers, the purpose of the gifts to the church is to attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. When we meet together on Sundays, do you see the Spirit of Christ in each other? This is the now, Is the personal recognition. This is why we share the Spirit of Christ, and this is why we love one another. When we sing our worship songs, are you growing in your awe of Christ? I just heard someone just teach uh, through a book that I read and some videos I'm watching. He said, almost all of us, the problem that we have is an awe problem, that we've lost our awe of God. So when we sing worship songs, are we growing in our awe? Or is it, oh, I think we sang this last week. Or I don't really like this song. Or, man, that, you know, Mike, is, is he ever going to change his hairstyle? I mean, what is going on? Or, you know, I'm seeing a lot of gray up there, bud. Man, what's going on? You know, what, what are we thinking about there? The awe of God. This is the recognition of the Spirit of Christ. Well, we know if Jesus should color and influence our thoughts, actions, and decisions. As I told you, I told the teens on Wednesday night that the problem many of us struggle with is that we have a mind and a thought process for Sundays and then a different one for Monday through Saturday. Our experiential knowledge of Jesus should influence us every day of the week. And so let us covenant to help one another grow in our knowledge, our personal recognition of Jesus Christ. That is why we covenant together. I want to help you know Jesus better. And I pray that because you've joined this church, you've said, I want to help you, Jeremy. I want to help you, Ashley, and you, Ben, and you, Mike, and you, Wayne. I want to help all of you know Jesus better. That's why we are here together. We are to gain. knowledge. Finally, God wants us to be matured. Mature is seen in stability. First of all, we see this in verse 14. It says, To the mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. And so he contrasts mature, a mature person or an adult person. Manhood could be adulthood there. He contrasts that with children here. He says, How do children act? Spiritual children, they're tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And some of it's cunning deceit, some of it's uh, uh, craftiness. And, and, and so, what he's saying here is a mature person is a stable person. This can refer to overt false teaching or subtle attacks on orthodoxy. I also think this could be applied to spiritual fads and trinkets. Because just because it has the name of Jesus stamped on it doesn't mean that it's a healthy option for the Christian. But the immature person doesn't have that discernment, and so our goal here is to help all of us mature in Christ. And now please note that stability here is not the same as rigid adherence to a theological status quo. We should always be growing in our theological understanding, and we'll be constantly increasing, which would would somewhat result in a theological elasticity. Now, to a degree, of course. I was in in a, um, a conference with uh, a few thousand other pastors and a well-known man by the name of John MacArthur was teaching, and and he has pastored the same church for over forty years, and he has taught through the Word of God verse by verse, and uh, he's he's well known, and so he was he was he was teaching pastors, and uh, he said this, which uh, w- which made me stop and think, and I really appreciate it. He said this. He says, "Guys, if your doctrinal statement is exactly the same." 30 years after when you wrote it, you've just taught one thing, you've just proved one thing, and that is that you have not grown at all. Now, obviously, he's not talking about there of, oh, at one time I believed in the authority of the scriptures, but now I do not. But there are nuances of understanding theological concepts that we do need to be growing in. And so this stability here isn't isn't prohibiting that, but it is saying that we need to be centered on the truths of God's Word. And So uh, I often liken it to this is as we're going down our theological journey it's like driving a car. And when you're driving a car, when you drove your car when you got in your car to, say, to, say, to get here and you drove down the road, and none of you I guarantee it, none of you got in the car and held the wheel firmly, white knuckled, straight and did not move the wheel at all. Okay? Even going down the straight road I mean, what were you doing? There's constant adjustments, right? Constant, yep, going over here drifting over here Now, I also hope none of you were doing this. Okay, (laughs) going down the right. You see, both ditches are to be avoided. See what I did there? Okay. All right. All right. There's gonna be some adjustments that we gotta make as we grow together. That's okay. That's not what this is prohibiting. But what is being prohibited is moving way back. A mature person has understanding the scriptures and that is uh, how they grow and that leads us to maturity as seen in growth. Growth is through the word. When it says in verse 15 there, it says rather speaking the truth in love. He's talking about going back to the word of, of speaking the truth of God's word in love. That is how we are to grow up, verse 15 teaches us. So we must be word-centered people. Being word-centered keeps us from spiritual immaturity. We are no longer children like verse 14 says. This is practical ramifications of how we do ministry here. We must reject an entertainment mentality that's prevalent in our culture, particularly when it comes to children and youth ministry. We need to be word-centered people. The purpose of God's word is to transform us. Like the illustration I gave in Isaiah 55 earlier. So the question I ask you, is God's word changing you? And does the trajectory of your life prove that? Then there's this idea of not just growth through the word, but growth through work here. It says in verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so this is part of the reason. I am to equip you. I am to help you. Then I'm to get in line with you and serve with you. And so that we can be building one another up and working properly together. In our church covenant, this is points two through four. I will grow together with my church. I will participate in the ministry of the church and I will support the work of my church. So we must serve together. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. If you're not using your gift in this here, understand this. If you are not using your gift in this here in this church, you are stunting the growth of this you believe that? I mean, look what the text says. It says, when, from the, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds up in love. It takes all of us to be working together properly. And God has gifted you in your spiritual giftedness. And God has blessed you. And God has, has given you things that you should be pouring into this church. And, and, and some of you are. And I'm so thankful for you. But understand, if we withhold our spiritual giftedness. And we withhold our involvement in the church. We are, according to this text, stunting the growth of our church. It's a sobering reality to think about. Maturity is realized in Christ here. It says we are to go into Christ at the end of verse 15 there. Our path of growth is always in the direction of Jesus Christ. Maturity isn't necessarily marked by knowledge of the Word or by a level of service in the church, although those are very important, and those can be marks of maturity. But unless they're motivated by love for Jesus, it can just be pharisaical work. We gather together because of Christ. The goal is to know Him better and to be more like Him. The goal is to love Him better and to love like He loves. The goal is to be ever-changing. And that change has to be the work of the Spirit of God in your life. This means of grace that the Spirit of God uses are the church and its ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism, the word, prayer, and biblical fellowship. This is the purpose of the church. So, in conclusion... God wants us to experience unity. Let's be gathered around a passion for Jesus Christ. When we are in awe of God, we don't have time for stupid disagreements and displays of selfishness. God wants us to gain knowledge. Let's make it a priority to know Christ better. Together, let's do this. Let's seek to recognize Christ to the point that he influences us each day. There shouldn't be a theological mindset on Sunday And then another mindset the rest of the week. Finally, God wants us to be mature. Let us grow together in the Word and by working together. This is the purpose. This is why we gather. This is why it's important to be part of a church. So we can do these things together and we can hold each other accountable to these things. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would take this passage of Scripture and let it change us. Father, we are thankful that Your Word will not return empty, and that Your Word is powerful to transform lives. I'm thankful for that. I I cannot change anybody. I, I my preaching cannot change anybody. That's why I preach Your Word and let the Word change people. So I pray Your Spirit would use Your Word to change lives and my own first. May we be unified. May we grow in a personal recognition of Jesus Christ. May we be mature. Christ Christ's name we do pray.